and welcome to Protestia tonight for November 21st, 2023. This is a program that we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting to sinners, and edifying to the saints, a program with sincere questions and biblical answers. I'm your host, David Morrill, taking you through, well, really just the stuff that I want to talk about. We have some great topics on tap for this program. Um, those of you that are regular watchers here will probably notice um, that I'm just doing the program from the the actual studio. Uh, no, no, uh, you know, green screen backgrounds or anything like that. I figure my, it, we might as well just be out in the open with uh, what it looks like to uh, be here in Protestia Studios, and I guess what it looks like to just see the the. Uh, <laughs> The fruits of 20 years of work in uh, professional music and things like that is sort of what that uh, what that ends up looking like. And for me, at least, it seemed like it was uh, quite a bit more authentic, I guess, to just see the real room that I'm in. Um, this seems to be like a popular thing with YouTubers. So I'm jumping in both feet in. We're just going to do the program out in the open. Uh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully it uh, it doesn't feel too different and hopefully it's not too distracting from the stuff that we want to talk about. We have some, um, some great, uh, topics on tap. We're going to be talking about the Southern Baptist convention and the Southern Baptist convention's new abuse, their new abuse, uh, you know, panel or their new abuse reform group or something like that. And, um, the fact that they're probably going to end up tearing down the whole convention. Eventually we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about as everybody's been talking about lately, the Asbury, the so-called Asbury revival, um, by looking at what revival is biblically speaking, we're going to try to, to dig into that and analyze it a little bit as well. We're also going to be talking about the, um, well, I'll I'll get into that. We're but we're gonna have more information about uh Rick Long and Grace Grace Church of Arvada. And not not for the purpose, um, I would say I'm gonna say not for the purpose of trying to target them specifically, but again to use this as an example of what has been going on, what sort of behind the scenes and under the currents that a lot of Christians a lot of church members and churchgoers and and faithful believers, I would argue, are not noticing. They're not noticing that. In other words, they have they haven't seen that that what we're going to be talking about with this specific example is actually what has been going on in evangelicalism as a whole. A lot of you that that read Protestia regularly have seen a veritable constant stream of um, Andy Stanley stuff. Andy Stanley information and stuff about North Point Community Church and all of the 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 you know tacit support or in in the case of North Point Community Church overt support of the of LGBTQ quote unquote Christianity um and sadly this this kind of thing is going on everywhere in American evangelicalism and so though some of you may know that um I did a, a three-hour video a little while ago, a sermon review from this local church that I have obviously some familiarity and, you know, past relationships with and things like that um, for the sake of, of parents that uh, uh, take their kids to the school that my sons used to go to until they kicked them out um, because of me. <laughs> and so we're going to be, we're going to be discussing um, a little bit more of that. And, and here's the reason I've been being, I've been sent, uh, I continue to be sent more information, 
more whistleblower uh, information from parents of this school having problems, more information from people at this church saying, um, finally, somebody's talking about what they're teaching. The, the sad reality is this is being taught all over the place. This kind of, this, these kind of ideas that, I, that we're going to go through using, using some um, grace uh, church materials as an example, this stuff's being taught all over the place. And so for the sake of those um, um, Christians who are around Colorado, around this area that have sent this to me, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but I want to use it more as an example of this is, this is the kind of false teaching, false doctrine, false uh, biblical interpretation, false application that is, is widespread. And I want I want us to be able to identify it. I want us to be able to see it for what it is and not fall for the, the slick marketing and the emotional appeals and all of the, the different techniques that are used against Christians to, for you to let your guard down and, and really accept things um, not only that are false, but also be, um, be ill-equipped. I mean, be, be unable to actually biblically address this with um, – people that you know, people that, that are, um, living, living a gay lifestyle that, that are, that are, um, self-described homosexuals, you don't, you won't know how to handle this biblically speaking. If you buy into what is being promoted by guys like Rick Long or what is being promoted by guys like Andy Stanley or Rick Warren, go down the list of pragmatic mega church types, um, business CEO types that have, that have, basically decided to, to turn their churches into little businesses that are world pleasing, you know, reach the world by pleasing the world is kind of their motto. And that's just not biblical, but it's one thing to know that and it's another thing to be able to identify it and understand it. So we're going to go through some of that. Um, and I'll put in the video link for those of you um, coming over here. Now, I, I think it's good, good of you to, you know, avail yourself of the whole program. But if that's what you want to see, if that's what you're going for, uh, I'll try to remember to put a timestamp in the description of uh, this video on YouTube to get to the specific addressing of those things. Um, you can skip over if you're not interested in the SBC stuff. Although, like I said, it's, you know, what the SBC does is important for the larger um, evangelical American evangelical uh, community, if you want to call it that, but the larger evangelical conversation. And so goes the SBC um, so goes a lot of other non-denominational churches and churches that don't technically identify as SBC, but um, there are relationships there and, and their pastors are, you know, graduates of SBC seminaries and so on and so forth. So it's important for that purpose. Um, also, a lot of you that, that may not watch this regularly are probably curious about this, what's going, what's going on. I think it's still going on out at Asbury University in Kentucky and wondering, is that legit? Because I see people on both sides or people seem to be unquestioningly thinking this is this is a movement of the spirit and, and you shouldn't, you, you, you shouldn't be skeptical. And then there's other people saying like myself that would say, well, no, absolutely. You should be skeptical. But that's, I, I think that that's the biblical approach with anything. Anytime somebody starts claiming the name of Jesus, or this is a movement of the spirit or this and that our skepticism is healthy um, because of what the Bible teaches us, right? That many, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that there will be plenty of people that, that say, Lord, Lord, that, that claim the name of Christ, that say that they're, they're for more Christ, more Jesus, more Jesus, but they're not going after the actual Jesus. They're going after a false Jesus. And there are ways to figure out which is which. So we're going to discuss that a little bit. And I think that that's valuable. Um, before we get into it, uh, a little bit of 
Um, I'll, I'll try to skip, skip over the housekeeping, but you know where to go to support this financially. If you want to support what we're doing, it's patreon.com forward slash protestia. And, um, you can join us on a financial level and get the full version of this program. Cause what you're listening to now is the freeloader portion. Um, as we, we call you the lovable freeloaders that listen to the free side. We love you. We're glad you're here for sure. Um, but there's also a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of VIP section for those that, uh, are, are joining on a financial level and, um, you know, can, can go without a few cups of coffee for, for the month and, and support us there. We, we would appreciate it. Um, you know where to go for that. Uh, but before we get into the news, um, a tradition on this program, we do this every time is we, we talk about, uh, the gospel because if, if the only thing you hear from me with this whole program is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the most important thing that I'll say. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news, right? The God, the word gospel means good news. What is that good news? Well, it starts with bad news. It starts with the bad news that, that uh, since the, uh, the first man, Adam's sin, we were all born into sin, born rebels against God, born um, uh, in, in, with a broken relationship with him that simply cannot be mended through our own works, simply cannot be mended by um, anything that we can do. And yet, and, and that broken relationship, by the way, and the consequences of our sin um, puts us in a position where we are rightly condemned to a godless eternity in hell. Um, the Bible teaches this very clearly. And yet, um, God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to pay that price instead for those who, would, who will believe. Um, Colossians 1.14 says um, that in Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's who Jesus is. Uh, Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, again, we're going to go over this later. It matters what Jesus you're proclaiming. It's not just anything you call Jesus. It must be the Jesus, the real Jesus. How do you know it's the real Jesus? You confirm it by the word of God. You confirm, and, and, and we see this pattern very clearly in, um, and I'm going to pull this up real quick while we're talking about it. This This is... Um, first Corinthians 15, one, which reads now, I would remind you brothers of the gospel. I preach to you, which you have received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then James, then all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul talking about, of course, his supernatural um, confrontation uh, on the road as, as Jesus appeared to him as well. Um, but the important thing here, and the thing that I'm trying to point out is that it's the Jesus of scripture that matters. You confirm his identity that you are having faith in the true Jesus by going to the word of God. And um, the gospel is that those that place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ uh, will be saved. Jesus lived a perfect life, earning righteousness on our behalf um, and paying the price to the father. He died a death on the cross that we deserved. Um, died a death on the cross we deserve to make um, propitiation for us to the father, paying the price in our place. He died on that cross, was raised on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, raised from the dead, as as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about right there. And if you place your faith, hope, and trust in him, you you can and will be saved. That's a biblical promise. Um, 
Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, ascended to heaven, now sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. If you have any questions about the gospel, you have any questions about the gospel, please reach out to us. We are not hard to find. Um, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Gab and obviously YouTube. If you're watching YouTube and there's a podcast here and um, you can you can even uh, contact us on the website. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. If you have more questions about the gospel, those questions go right to the top of, of, of the pile. And there's a pile, unfortunately. We can't necessarily get to everything, but those we will make space for. Also, if you are having a uh, trouble looking for finding a good local church, uh, we have some resources that we can put your way as well, send your way to find a good local church wherever you happen to be uh, around the country. Now, on to the topics here. The first one I wanted to talk about, this headline at protesty.com reads, SBC Reform Group Selects Guidepost Solutions to Build Sex Abuse Watch List Website Will Cost $2 million. $2 million. Now, I put out an offer. I don't know if they're going to take me up on it, but I put out an offer to the SBC Executive Committee and said, hey, look, Protestia Ministries will build this website for you for half that. We'll do it for a million and we'll get it off its feet and running. And, and the good news is our doctrine is a lot more sound, certainly a lot more in keeping with the SBC than Guidepost Solutions, who is pro-LGBTQ, um, not a Christian organization whatsoever. Um, I haven't gotten a response back from the executive committee, but you know, I'm still hopeful, you know, who knows? Um, I can tell you this, if they decide to have us build out their, the, this website for a million dollars, we're going to put, I don't know, half of that back into, uh, this ministry and, and missions and also all sorts of places that it should go rather than guidepost solutions. So, it, you know, I, the, the offer out there, the offer stands, uh, you know, I won't even, and, and this might sound crazy to you. I won't even give them a hard time about the standards by which they're going to operate this website yet. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't put in our contract to build a website that I won't give them a hard time at some point. Um, because it's, it's highly problematic what they're talking about doing. Um, but I won't give it, you know, the website will be one thing and then we'll, we'll, we'll argue theology and methodology and, and the prudence of doing what they're doing. Uh, uh, later, but you know, just in the in the interest of stewardship and stewarding the resources that faithful churches continue for some reason to inexplicably give to the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, you know, you have the offer on the table to save you about a million dollars. I do have, I I guarantee you this. I have the web developers that can make this happen and can get it up and running for you. So there you go. But but to to make this clearer, this is apparently. Uh, what they're planning on doing They're They're supposedly going to have transparent guidance. Let me make this bigger. Transparent guidance, solutions for issues of harassment and misconduct. Now, what is this website going to be? This website is going to be a list supposedly of ministers. I guess that in the, in the uh, Southern Baptist convention that um, are, are credibly accused, credibly accused of sexual abuse who have been or are associated with a cooperating Southern Baptist church or entity. So, so it's going to be a list of not, not people that have been charged with crimes, not people that have been convicted of crimes. Um, not even people that have, um, you know, that, that have been uh, sued or something like that in the civil arena necessarily. This is going to be a, 
a list of those who are quote unquote credibly accused. Now, credibly accused means a a preponderance of evidence. Let's see if we noted this here. Um, a preponderance of evidence. And a preponderance of evidence is this idea that if it seems like there's more evidence than not that this is possible, um, it becomes it, it they go on the list. These people go on the list. And the 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 guidepost uh, sex abuse list, as we as, as we're calling it here, um, this is the abuse list right here that they that they used um, in their report from last year, I guess. Now this, yeah, this is uh, from highly confidential. So I don't know really how it got out there. Maybe this is a redacted version. Um, but this article was posted at Protestia nine months ago. Uh, Paul Brown wrote this back in May. So this was before the 2022 annual meeting, you know, after they had released the guidepost report with all of this and has lists of people here that aren't, um, some people aren't SBC. Um, some, and, and most of this can be just culled from media. You know, that, that was the, the tricky thing about this, you know, the, the complaint that, well, the SBC executive committee was keeping some sort of a secret, um, a secret record of people that had been accused. Like it wasn't secret. Their list was basically, um, it was basically people that had, uh, been reported in the media. It was like a Google search. You know, some of you know that you can do a Google news alert where you can say, Hey, if, if these terms come across Google's, you know, news curation and, and, and whatnot, send me an email. And that, that's basically all, all it was. But now what they're planning on doing with this, um, this website is they're planning on um, having guidepost solutions who produced the super expensive and largely exculpatory um, report on sex abuse in the Southern Baptist convention last year. That's the funny thing is the big stories in that, in that report were guys like Johnny hunt where like, it's arguable whether that was sex abuse or um, David Sills and Jennifer Lyell again, arguable if that was sex abuse, it didn't matter. That took up a, a, huge chunk of that report. And the conclusion we were left with was, well, I guess abuse is all over the convention when the report actually said something very different than that, very different than that. And yet on that basis, on that basis, they're going to have a super expensive for some reason website. I don't know why $2 million is needed to put up a website, um, which is basically just the same thing that the executive committee was already doing, except now managed by a godless third party company. Um, and they're going to put lists on it of people who are uh, credibly accused. Doesn't matter if they're guilty or not. You know, the, the list is not concerned with that. Were they, were they accused and was there, was there some evidence that supposedly can back up that they were guilty of something? Then they go on the list. Now, one of the things that, and this is important, Megan Basham at the Daily Wire pointed this out. I thought very, very important to note this. One of the recommendations of the, um, of the, the, you know, guidepost in, in, their reforms for the Southern Baptist convention was they want um, those that handle these things or those that are, you know, like counselors or, 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 you know, workers or, or ministry workers or things to be what they call trauma informed. Some of you may have heard this terminology floated around trauma informed, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the ways that um, biblical counseling has been maligned and, um, and discredited was, well, Hey, these, these, they're just using the Bible. I mean, these are just, like pastors or ministers just using the Bible and they're not trauma informed. You really need to have a professionals do this, 
professionals outside of um, the church, not using the Bible particularly, but they need to be trauma-informed. Now, trauma-informed, I'm going to try to summarize this up for you. Trauma-informed is basically this idea that because of somebody's trauma, because of what they went through, they may be telling you things in, in the course of working with them that are nonsensical, that are not true, that are contradictory, that don't make any sense, things that under any ordinary investigative standards would lead you to believe that they're not a credible witness. Um, things that might lead you to believe the person they're accusing actually might not be guilty of what they're being accused of, but because of their trauma, the, the, the accuser here, and, and again, very well may, may be a, a victim of whatever they're talking about, but this accuser here um, is going to tell you all sorts of crazy nonsense that doesn't add up. And you just have to, and anything that supports their, their final conclusion, you should accept as true. And anything that rejects their final conclusion, anything that would be, um, that would not agree with what they want to accuse this person of, you should throw out that that's a result of their trauma. Their trauma is going to cause them to tell you all sorts of things. And your standard for belief is not, does that make any sense? Or does that even agree with what they told me two seconds ago? Your standard is going to be a, a, a predetermined conclusion. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I wish it was different than that, but that's what it means. This idea that somebody who's traumatized is is unreliable as a witness and that's okay. In fact, their unreliability is supposed to be taken as further evidence of the conclusion, further evidence that what they're accusing this person of is true. It's a it's a lose it's a lose lose situation. Anything they say that that again, anything they say that supports the conclusion, supports the accusation, we're going to take as evidence. Anything they say that that uh refutes their accusation that that would tend to um, discredit them that would tend to be in opposition to that. That's still to be taken that their, you know, that their accusation is true because of the trauma. And, and this is the company, this is the organization that is going to be um, operating this, this website and the, and this list. And it's, it's hard for me to understand at this point, why any SBC church, any cooperating church would look at this and not say, this is a, our continued partnership, our continued uh, membership in the SBC, however you want to say it, our continued um, cooperation with the convention, how, how, how could you look at this and say that's not a sinful lack of stewardship at this point to continue? And, and we've had um, you know, these, these uh, uh, SBC leaders and things like this who are on this, on this task force, on this new abuse reform group or whatever we want to call it, um, we've had several of them coming out and saying, "Hey, this is just this is part of the deal. All of the all of the people are going to need to um, to chip in for this. Uh, all of the institutions, all of the institutions are going to be dealing with this." Uh, and and I've had a lot of people in the Southern Baptist Convention basically say, uh, basically say that, "Hey, we're staying in the convention to fight because of the institutions, because of the seminaries, because of the." Um, because of the international missions, whatever it is, we're staying for those reasons. And now we have this task force group basically saying, um, yeah, all the, all the institutions are going to pay. They're all going to pay. Um, I'm going to pull it, pull this up here so you can see kind of what I'm talking about real quick. And I had, I think I retweeted this, uh, or commented on it and called them a bunch of fools, something like that. Um, I'm going to, but I retweeted, and this was a tweet from, 
the the group itself or or at least one of the members of the group um let's see yeah so this is from the executive committee themselves and where where they uh had let me see real quick this is adam wyatt who's a a member of the spc executive committee who said let me rephrase and so, so he's, he's clarifying here. He's, he's basically saying, um, this is exactly what I want to say with this. He says, make no mistake. The denominational change we have begun regarding sexual abuse is bigger than the SBC executive committee and will require sacrifice from every SBC entity moving forward. All will have to speak to this issue moving forward. So how, how are these entities going to uh, speak to this issue? Adam, because the, the entities themselves, um, have supposedly have processes for handling sex abuse, handling these kinds of things, but you're, you're clearly saying here, well, sacrifice is required. So it's not just a matter of doing what they said they were going to do and, and, you know, handling these kind of situations in a biblical manner, hopefully in accordance with what they've already determined to do and what's hopefully already on the books in all of these, all of the entities, all the SBC entities, but there it's going to require more sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? That's financial sacrifice. That's the fact that they, they are admitting here that they are setting up the convention and its entities to pay out large sums of money. And apparently the standard to wind up on guidepost list is just a preponderance of evidence. So we're, we're not going to need, um, we're not going to need actual convictions. We're not going to need even, even charges, even legal charges are not going to be needed for the, for abuse incorporated to have their hands in the pockets of every Southern Baptist church. I have to ask you pastor in the Southern Baptist convention, who's still cooperating with the convention. Is this, is this where you want your, the, the giving, the faithful giving of your congregation to go? is to fund the lawsuits of abuse incorporated. Now I'm not saying that real abuse doesn't happen. It does. I'm not saying real crimes don't happen. Obviously they do. Um, I'm saying that this standard, the standard that is now being employed by the Southern Baptist conventions, executive committee is not a biblical standard. It's not even a legal standard. It's, it's a PR standard. That's what they're doing. This is for public relations and virtue signaling and that's why, and, and, and it's not, I mean, it's going to lead to the destruction of the Southern Baptist Convention if this isn't halted. And I mean, like immediately, um, abuse incorporated are licking their chops at this. We already saw, by the way, after the report came out last year, you saw the ambulance chasing, uh, advertisements, right? You saw that stuff. You saw that stuff where they're like, uh, have you been abused in a Southern Baptist church? Call me. Call me and I'll, I'll make sure you get the justice you deserve. That's what we call ambulance chasing. Lawyers that are marketing, they're trying to find clients to um, take on their case and their case being sue the Southern Baptist Convention for millions of dollars. And these morons, and they are morons in the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee, the, the, new, the new woke regime that has taken power over the executive committee almost entirely and the platformers at the top of the Southern Baptist Convention will be the end of it if they continue to do this. They'll be the end of it. 
Um, moving on to our, our next issue to Asbury, Asbury University. And the question being, of course, you know, that, that is divided everybody in evangelicalism as these, these things do is, is this legit? Is it real? What's, what's going on? Um, obviously, and this isn't just because this is a discernment and polemics blog and ministry and website and, and podcast. Um, but you know, of course I'm skeptical and I'm skeptical for the, the very first reason I'm skeptical is because we are taught biblically to be skeptical. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And, and for, for one major reason here, we're taught to be skeptical, I would argue. And this reason is that, um, the word of God has been given to us in its completion. There aren't new revelations akin to scripture coming out. And so anything that comes out and claims to be a new movement, a new thing, it's brand new, it's exciting, it's an event, whatever, um, stands in the face of scripture itself. Not saying that, it, that, that anything that happened there is necessarily illegitimate, but how do we know how do we know if anything that these folks are saying is even true? Well, we open up the Bible and we, we act as Bereans and we test things. We test the spirits to see if they're from God. Um, I'm going to move over to a passage here that I hope will, will make this pretty clear. This is 1 John 4, 1, and it reads... Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have, have gone out into the world. Uh, full stop. What, what does this mean? What's a, a false prophet is somebody who's still claiming the name of Jesus. They say that they're, that they're um, proclaiming the name of Jesus, that they're worshiping Jesus, that they want more Jesus, whatever it is. Um, and this verse makes very clear that many who say those things are actually not. Well, how do we know that many are not? Well, because we're instructed right here to test those spirits, test those things, test what you hear um, being proclaimed in the name of God um, and to see if it really is of him. Verse two continues, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now back to the beginning of verse three, every spirit that does not confess Jesus does not confess Jesus. What does it mean to confess Jesus? Because they're saying a lot of Jesus-y stuff over there, aren't they? A lot of Jesus-y stuff is being said. A lot of, a lot of repeats of Waymaker and, and what a beautiful name it is on, on loop is going on over there. Right? There are people lined up around the block waiting for hours to get in to, I guess, what apparently is some sort of a magical vortex of Holy Spirit activity that can't be done elsewhere. You know, And like I said, they're saying a lot of Jesus. So if we just take, take verse 3 um, at face value, we'd say, well, they're confessing Jesus. Therefore, it's from God. Ex- except you know that many will say to Jesus on the last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not do many miracles? Did we not do good works in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. Now, why would he say, I never knew you? Because they're workers of lawlessness. Because the Jesus 
that um, they're proclaiming the Jesus that they're confessing here is not the real Jesus. This happens all the time. You know, you, you can't, if, if we read first John four here, where it says many false prophets have gone out into the world and we need to test the spirits and those that don't confess Jesus, the false prophets don't go out and start preaching some other God by name. They don't go, you know, they don't go start proclaiming some other God that's not called Jesus. Their false God is called Jesus. They say Jesus as they're preaching falsely. That's why we have to test the spirits. You test the spirits how? By opening up the word of God and comparing what you're seeing, what you're seeing in the name of God to the word of God to find out. And this is, this is where we run into a problem with a lot of what we see at this so-called revival at Asbury University. You have um, a, just a cornucopia of um, ecumenicism going on here, all sorts of different expressions of Christianity, all sorts of different teaching, all sorts of different understanding, things that, things that agree with Scripture, things that don't agree with Scripture, uh, things that, that couldn't care less whether they agree or not. Um, the, um, this university, Asbury University, is, comes out of the, the Wesleyan holiness movement. And so it's, it's Pentecostal by nature. It's egalitarian. Um, a lot of things that the, the, um, that the Bible stands very clearly against. There's an article over at, um, by Seth Dunn over at Pulpit and Pen, um, also with a link to a Chris Roseborough Fighting for the Faith video that I would recommend you check out to determine for yourself what to make of all of this. Um, I think that it's, it's ridiculous to a certain extent that people are across the country pointing at Kentucky and saying, see, it's wonderful. This wonderful thing's going on over in Kentucky. Um, and then wondering why what they supposedly think is happening can't happen where they are. Like open up your Bible, gather with some believers, preach the word, teach the word, exhort, confess your sins one to another. I mean, that's how revival happens in the heart. Revival is a movement of the spirit in the hearts of people. It's not a show. It's not a big event. Every single day, people are saved by the power of the Holy Spirit all over the world. There isn't some sort of secret recipe that, hey, if you just keep singing praise songs long enough, then, I mean, the Spirit will have to move. And, and this is like a, a special centering of, of, you know, wonderful supernatural power. Like, if there's real transformation occurring over there, real preaching of the world, real repentance, real worship of God— um, that's wonderful, but we can confirm very clearly that that's a lot of what's going on is not that. A lot of what's going on is not that. Uh, reports of you know demons supposedly being cast out, um, unrepentant homosexuals leading worship and and these kinds of things and encouraging one another in their sinfulness. That's not a sign of that's not a sign of a revival. You know, anything that's going against the word of God, anything that doesn't involve the clear preaching of the word of God and the conviction under that preaching. It's not a real revival. Biblically speaking, that's, that's not what it looks like. Um, but this, this is the article over at uh, Pulpit and Pen entitled Revival, What Asbury Believes. I'd recommend you head over to pulpitandpen.org and check that out. Um, also, the, the YouTube video that is embedded therein as well. That is, that is worth checking out. One of the things that I found very interesting was um, the claims that, the claims that there was unrepentant homosexuality being promoted at this supposed revival, somebody got a hold of and, and, and published it 
um, Asbury University's Statement on Human Sexuality, which we have up at our article at Protestia under the op-ed, Can Asbury Be a Revival When Its Theology is So Revoicey? Now, the Revoice Conference is a conference for so-called Side B Christianity, which is basically this understanding that you can identify as a homosexual as part of your nature, part of who you are, and yet be obedient to God by just being celibate, by not going all the way, basically. You can still you know, have the desires and, and entertain the, the identifying with, with aberrant sexuality, but as long as you don't do it, you're good. Um, somebody got a hold of Asbury University's statement on human sexuality, and if you read it without a fine tooth comb, if you're not too careful about this, it looks pretty legit. It looks like it's it looks like it has a um a lot of good things to say about human sexuality. Um, but read it more carefully, and what you'll notice is that it's it's very centered on um just be celibate. You know, you and you may have heard this phrase. I don't. I don't have time to go into this right now. We well, we might when we start talking about the Grace Church stuff. But um, you may have heard it said, uh, heard it said before that uh, it's not heterosexuality; it's holiness. Have you, have you heard that phrase before? It's not heterosexuality; it's holiness. But that it, it needs to be. Our focus is on holiness, not heterosexuality. Um, and I, I, I take very strong issue with that that phraseology. Um, even if I'm going to be generous and say that, Hey, you know, I, I get what you're getting at. It's not helpful to say that because that would argue that, um, as long as you don't behave in a way that's unholy, you don't have to be concerned about heterosexuality. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think the Bible would, would take issue with that as well. If we take seriously the instruction from God, the, the charge, the commandment, the, whatever you want to, refer to it as, um, but the instruction from God to be fruitful and multiply, obviously multiplying requires a heterosexual orientation. It requires that. Now, a lot of people will point to the apostle Paul and say, Hey, it would be good to be single like I am basically. So you can devote all of your time to ministry, but that's a supernatural gift. That's it. That's, that's a gift of, um, celibacy and singleness for the sake of ministry. And we can't really believe or accept that that's widespread and, and a lot of people have that. So when somebody says it's heter- it's not heterosexuality, it's holiness, um, are we to to believe that there are a lot of people gifted with this this singleness, this idea that they're not gonna have any sort of sexual desires, any sort of natural proclivities um um toward towards uh somebody else uh sexually? Um, I would argue that that's almost nobody. Almost nobody. And and Look no further than Roman Catholicism, where they made it a requirement of clergy to be celibate, to not be married. And what happened? Um, they burned with lust, and those lusts got twisted, and they did a lot of horrible things, many of them. Um, this whole idea that God will supernaturally gift you with no sexual desires, no sexual desires whatsoever, I think is largely a myth. Very, very rare. Incredibly rare. And so... When somebody's saying it's 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 heterosexuality, not whole, or it's holiness, not heterosexuality, um, they're 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 dismissing this idea that the natural person, the natural person, will have proclivities. The natural person will have attractions and nat- natural attractions, and it is imperative that they orient those towards God's design imperative that they orient those towards God's design. There's not, um, some big movement of, 
um, those that, that came out of homosexuality but, but are now somehow able to have no sexual proclivities and desires whatsoever. I think that's largely a myth. We'll, we'll talk about that more, I think, because I, I have some friends and people that, whose beliefs I respect about this that would probably disagree with me about what I just said. Um, and yet I, I, I am firm in my understanding and belief that um, the vast majority, overwhelming majority of human beings have natural desires and inclinations that that they to be obedient to God should be orienting towards his created order towards his created design. So on to, I got about, uh, I don't know, a little less than 20 minutes to talk about this. And so this may go into the next, this may go into the PT VIP segment. We'll see. Um, but we're going to go, this was sent to me. This was sent to me by, um, by some concerned parents and I'm assuming maybe some people at this church that are really disturbed by what they saw. Um, but they sent me some materials from, uh, Grace Church of Arvada from, I guess the Bible study or the small group study that they were doing a few years ago around this, this love, no matter what, um, this love, no matter what idea they sent me some of this stuff and basically, uh, were say, Hey, you know, this, this, this is exactly, what you thought it was exactly what you exposed in that sermon. And here, here's what, here's what really, I guess really irritates me is in response to our video, in response to my sermon analysis, uh, this pastor put out videos to the parents of the school, basically saying that the sermon that we discussed that, that took him 200 hours to prepare and he talked to everybody and, and, and he's really careful about what he says and all of this, you know, 200 hour prep sermon, he basically said to the parents, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes you just screw up. Sometimes you just make a mistake and don't say it exactly how you want. And he expects people to believe this. He expects people to buy that. It's just, yeah, you know, even as long as I've been a pastor, as he's listing all of his credentials to try to distract from what he did, um, even, even without, you know, distracting from all of that, he's like, he, he just told people, I, I just, I kind of messed it up. I made a mistake. Shouldn't have said that. And, and, I actually believe that marriage is between one man and one woman and a story and, and expects people to believe that. But, um, I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, it was not a mistake. This is what he believes. This is what he teaches. Um, that church is buying a school. They're going to be running and being the, uh, sort of the spiritual shepherds for lack of a better way to say it for high schoolers, ninth through 12th graders are going to be exposed to this kind of stuff. And they might say, well, that's not what we teach at the, at the school. And, and I mean, that was just an errant thing said in a sermon. Um, and yet people are sending me proof that this is the curriculum being used by the small groups at this church, this exact same kind of stuff. And so, so what they do, and this is, I mean, if any of you ever saw the purpose, the 40 days of purpose thing that Rick, Rick Warren and Saddleback Church put out back um, like 2002, that kind of range, um, the format is like this. They send out curriculum, which involves... There's, you know, guided books like any Lifeway Bible study, like a guided book and then a video, a video portion of, of Rick, Rick Warren, um, talking about the specific issue. And then, you know, the group goes through the curriculum together. Um, but it's very like pre-chewed. There's not a lot of like deep Bible study happening in the group. It's more like get people in small groups together to watch this video and then go through this stuff. And so Grace Church over here, uh, in Colorado doing the same thing and, they, they would send out, um, this, this was the week two video that was sent out 
we're going to walk through it. Hopefully, if I have enough time, we're going to we're going to try to walk through this and dissect it. But for all of his claiming that I I just made a mistake in a sermon, this is their curriculum. This is has been, and I have by the way the actual uh, page from the curriculum itself that we're going to walk through as well. We'll get back to it, but we're going to start with the um, we'll start with with the actual video portion. And I, I suspect we're going to go way over the time allotted here, but that's okay. I will cut and paste this and we will end up with something that we can put out here. This is, um, this was posted January 12th, 2020 in an unlisted, uh, link that is, was sent out to the church members, uh, at, at Grace Church. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you've had a wonderful weekend and I'm so excited about this subject we're discussing, man. Thanks for being here, brother. Great to be here. You know, it's, it's awesome to have Wes as our pastor of small groups. And, you know, as we look at this, this subject, um, I think it's one of the most difficult subjects facing the church in the 21st century. It's not. It is not. It is not. In fact, you know, you know why it's not a difficult subject? Because the Bible spoke to this 2,000 years ago. Bible makes it clear. Anyway, and I like those challenges. I do. But the challenge isn't really determining whether or not God created people male and female. I mean, we we know that. It is a challenge for the culture, isn't it? They, they, They don't believe that. Whether he ordained marriage between a man and a woman because we know what the Bible says. The question is how we are called as a church to love those in the LGBTQ community. Hard stop. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as an LGBTQ community because there are no such thing as LGBTQ people. The Bible does not teach that somebody's uh, um, decisions about their sexual behavior and, and things like this are part of their nature. It doesn't teach this. Science doesn't back this up either. So when somebody says there's an LGBTQ community, I mean, would you ever imagine somebody saying, hey, there's a, there's a liar community or there's a thieving community? I mean, the, I guess that can exist where, hey, there's a group of people that, that are thieves together. But rarely do you find where they're saying, I'm, I'm identifying with that. That's who I am. I'm going to take this specific sin and wrap it up and, and, and make it a part of who I am. Communities are based off of shared values. Values, not deviancies, not sin. You're going to make a community based off of sin. So right off the bat, his framework is wrong here. His framework is unbiblical. In fact, the Bible never speaks to a homosexual. Never does. It speaks to those who practice homosexuality. It, it speaks to the act of you know, homosexual acts being deviant sins and sins that um, when not repented of, you know, like, for instance, making it part of your lifestyle, uh, leads you to hell. That's what it talks about. The Bible never speaks about a, a, a homosexual identity that would somehow form some sort of a community. There's no community. There's, there's, that's, that's just shared sin. Regardless of their lifestyle. And Wes, you were an athlete, you're still an athlete, but you were in that, that arena literally and figuratively surrounded with male and female athletes. And um, many of those from what, what some would label alternative lifestyles, but but you're around lots of lesbians and you know, you notice the, the, the shift here, you notice how as he's moving the goalposts, it's not sin. He hasn't said sin once he's, he said alternative lifestyles. It's an alternative. Now, why, why do we frame it that way? Why do we call it an alternative? 
because we're trying to downplay the seriousness of what this actually is. And we're trying not to turn off people that are lost in their sins um, that would, as Jesus said, hate us because they hated him first, because we're willing to tell them the truth. Their life depends on it. Their life depends on us telling them the truth. And when we, so when we play shell games with the words, it's an alternative lifestyle rather than this is a sin. This is a sin that's going to, um, you die in the sin and you're going to hell. Lost in the sin, you're going to hell. Well, it's just an alternative lifestyle. It's an alternative lifestyle. And, and, and even those in the homosexual community. Not a thing. How were you able to relate in those situations and love no matter what? Rick, that's a great question. Um, and now, I'm, I'm going to put this out here. I know I could conclude with this, but let's just, let's just say, you know, love no matter what is a true statement. I think I said this before in, in the last video. It's true. Love no matter what. That's the true thing. We are told, Jesus told us that the, the first, uh, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God. And the second great commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. So we should be loving no matter what. But now what is that? What is love? Is it just whatever makes them feel good? Is it, what it whatever placates them? Whatever makes them not dislike us? You know, because I would argue that, that Rick Long, Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, I mean, you name your pastor that, that, um, employs this kind of methodology, um, they are not living out love no matter what because they're, they're not willing to love someone enough to tell them the truth if it's going to harm their relationship. They're not willing to risk their own popularity, their own relationships with these people, their own feelings. So they're not loving no matter what. They're loving as long as it doesn't hurt me. They're loving as long as it's not hard on my heart. Loving as long as it's not going to compromise the relationship that, that I'm trying to work on here. Loving if it, as long as it doesn't mean people are going to leave my church. They don't love no matter what. They, they've twisted the meaning of love, but you'll, you'll see that here. This is a vital question for us, us as a small group and church to, to tackle. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, these are still people. Yeah, First right. and foremost, these are God's children created right. with... Well, stop. Hard stop. First and foremost, these are God's children. No, no, they're not. God's children are the redeemed. God's children are the saints, those who have been born again. God adopts his sons and daughters upon salvation. And the Bible is very clear. Unrepentant homosexuals are not saved. They will not inherit the kingdom. How unloving can it possibly be to tell a lost person that they're a child of God? It's, it's, it's hateful is what it is. It's, it's, it's hateful and it's selfish and it's, it's just straight false teaching. Purpose. Um, some of the most loving, kind, uh, intelligent people that I know mm-hmm. have lived in this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And oh, smart people can be gay. It was, it was, that's a very strange, very strange thing to throw in there, as if somehow Christians are saying gay people are stupid. Actually, they're smart. I, I, I digress. Uh, at the end of the day, we're called to love them and not be offended by their sin no matter what. Excellent. That's entirely wrong. That could not be more wrong. This idea that, that you see someone lost and dead in their trespasses and sins, and your job is to just not be offended by that, as if somehow you're allowed to be unoffended on God's behalf. Is that's not what the Bible teaches to be unoffended. And, and, and Rick Long has pushed this idea for a long time now, this, this idea that you're supposed to be unoffendable. 
No, you are supposed to be offended by the things that offend God and not offended by the things that don't offend him. You're not supposed to have your own standard for what's offensive and not offensive for your own purposes, because you think somehow you know more than God's word does about these things. Now, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm offended by this, therefore I'm going to, um, I'm going to, to sin in my, in my expression of, of what I disagree with here. That's not what we're talking about. But to be unoffendable is to have no standards. You realize that people that are, are unoffendable um, are, and we call this in theology, we call this antinomianism, no law, no standards, no right and wrong, nothing that would ever make us stop and say, wait a minute wait a minute, this is what I'm seeing here. I mean, imagine applying this across the board. How, how many of you would be comfortable with saying, um, I'm unoffended by uh, teachers in the public school who are trying to indoctrinate the students into transgenderism? Um, is, you think you should be not offended by that? You know, Or government officials that, that want to codify this right to murder the unborn? Should we not be offended by that? Is that, is that the standard to be unoffendable? I mean, realize what this is that you're hearing being taught on a larger, um, more comprehensive scale than just this specific issue. Cause yeah, I mean, homosexuality is the culture's pet sin right now. It will, it will, you know, grow and get worse and, and metastasize most likely. Um, but that's why these guys are carving out a special space for this. I mean, if you started replacing all of this language with instead of it's homosexuality and a gay community and all these things, if you replace it with um, it's, it's uh, a rapist community, you know, or a thieving community or um, an adultery community, let's, let's throw that out there. Let's, you know, let's, let's not try to sensationalize this too much for the sake of argumentation. And let's just say this, we have an adultery community. Let's just say there's a swingers club down the street from this church. Would they similarly... Uh, use this kind of language with them. Like, Hey, um, you know, the right way to love these swingers, no matter what is to not be offended by what they're doing. It's ridiculous. And we all know it is. And, and yet they stand here with a straight face and, and they teach this kind of stuff to in a church. They have a curriculum built around this. This is how bad it is. And I know some of you who may be watching this, who have never seen this before, maybe haven't read, um, you know, seen my first review or seen on, uh, Protestia, all the stuff we've exposed about North Point Community Church um, in Georgia and, and Andy Stanley, you're shocked by this. You're like, I, I can't believe it would ever be this bad. It's this bad. It's this bad and it sneaks in. It, it, it sneaks in. It's not, it's not preached out in the open. Um, you know, false, there's a reason that we call them wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like us and kind of sound like us and say a lot of good things in, in, in some contexts, and yet they are wolves. That's why we have to practice discernment. Um, back to the video here. And when you did that on your campus, even though you were in a place in your life where you were choosing to even do some things that were contrary to, uh, we, we all have, right? Um, contrary to God's word. I'm sorry, no, 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 we haven't. It's not that we're not all sinners. But there's a different, there's a categorical thing that they're blurring here purposefully. There is a difference between committing a sin, knowing it's sin, repenting of it, which means turning away from it, mortifying it, getting, you know, going to war against it more or less, but, but primarily admitting that it's sinful, aligning your understanding and beliefs with the word of God, and then practicing an agreement with that. And what these guys are making, um, 
uh, space for within their church, which is unrepentant, soul-destroying sin. Romans, Romans 1 and 2 make this very clear. This is, this is the kind of sin that will wind, wind up with you being in hell. It's not the same thing as a Christian um, stumbling and sinning and repenting of that sin. It's not that. This is re- deliberate rebellion against, against what God has uh, told us is his standard. Uh, it's, you're, you were still able to love people with a different lifestyle than yours, with different attractions. It's not a different lifestyle and different attractions. It's sin. It's sin, pastor. I mean, for crying out loud, what kind of pastor can't straightforward identify homosexuality as sin? What kind of pastor reads the Bible where it very clearly lays this out with, there's no confusion about this whatsoever and say, it's just different. It's just different attraction. I mean, how much must you hate these people? How much, much, how much must you hate them to characterize it this way? You know, any of us could die tomorrow and then face judgment, any of us. And you're going to soft pedal this. You're going to act like, somehow you love them by just going along with their alternative lifestyle. That's not love. That's hate. It's absolutely hateful and it's horrific. That's a great point. Uh, What I think sometimes can get uh, uh, misinterpreted as Christians is that once we start to follow the Lord, we don't have the right to now be offended by somebody else's sin just because we didn't struggle with that same sin. That's insane good. Yeah. Very good. That's very good. That now once we start to follow the Lord, you know, he's not, he's, he's watch this shifty language here, ladies and gentlemen, watch the shifty language. He's not saying once we're saved, once we're regenerated, once we're a new creation, once we've been born again, you know, any, any sort of Bible, Bible framework here, biblical framework. Um, it's a new framework. Once we start to follow the Lord, I don't know what that means. Is that a, is that a, a lost person who's like, eh, Jesus sounds kind of interesting now. Is that a, a, a saved person who's been saved for a while and is now like, well, finally, I'm going to be obedient. We don't know. But to say something like, once you start following the Lord, you don't have the right to be offended. It's not about me being, if I'm offended by this, I'm offended by false teaching. I'm offended by the hatred that I see on display for those who are practicing homosexuality, those who are identifying that way. This is hatred for those people that you're seeing displayed in this, in this teaching. And this is codified teaching at this church. This is a program that they send out to groups to go through this. This is a morphine drip of false doctrine and false theology and just destruction for the Christian soul that you're seeing here. There's no other way to, there's no other way to describe this, sadly. Um, and yeah, I'm offended by it. And any, any Bible-believing Christian should be rightly offended by what they're seeing here. This idea that, well, once, once you follow Jesus, you can't be offended anymore. No, no. Once you follow Jesus, you are instructed to preach the full counsel of the word, to teach the full counsel of the word. You are instructed to take the good news. You are instructed to, um, to stand up for the truth of God's word, even when it costs you. Love no matter what, when rightly understood as a phrase, is being willing to be truthful with somebody about the peril that they're in. They're in grave danger, and you guys are playing footsie with it. 
very good. And, and I think that's, that's really the, the case in point that's being made is that we get offended by sins we don't struggle with, mm-hmm. but we don't get offended by sins we do. Mm. You know, notice that, yeah, we, we don't get offend, offended by sins that we don't struggle with, but we get offended by sin or uh, we, we get offended by sins we don't struggle with, but not offended by the ones that we do. And their answer is don't get offended by any of it. The answer should be be offended, be offended by all of the sin. Be offended by the things that offend God. If our sin, if homosexuality offends God, then you should be rightly offended by it if you are, if you are repenting and aligning um, what you believe and what you practice with the truth of God's word. If the other sins that you're supposedly not offended by um, don't offend you, they should. The answer is not don't be offended. The, the answer is conform. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Read the word. Align your standards and your belief about righteousness and right and wrong and the nature of the world, the nature of mankind, the, the, the deadly predicament that we are all in outside of the, of the uh, salvation in Jesus Christ and agree with that. Be offended by what is offensive to God's word and his standards and don't be offended by what isn't. Align your standards. That's what this is about. The answer is not, well, because you've sinned too, you can have no standards. It's just not. And that's what they're pushing here. Well, guys, as you think about it, it, it really, the issue today is such a hot topic. And I, I think all of us are tired of being bombarded with one perspective or the other. You know, you watch the American Music Awards or the Grammys, uh, the Academy Awards, and over the last few years, they've become highly politicized and there seems to be an agenda for certain groups or or social groups or you know sexual orientation and this is an equivocation yell all the time at celebrities and say they're out of touch but are celebrities really out of touch i mean yeah we can say that but i think christians have fallen out of touch i think well n- number one no celebrities aren't out of touch with the culture they're a reflection of the culture and and, and again and this is a straw man i know christians looking at the Grammys or the Oscars or whatever, saying those celebrities are out of touch. We're looking at them and saying they're promoting uh, sin. They're promoting sin. They're promoting unbiblical standards, um, worldly standards, fleshly standards. That's what we're saying. We're not saying they're out of touch. But look what he does with this, right? It's not the celebrities you know, who are, who are you know, preaching lawlessness and everything that's against what the word of God teaches. Um, let me point the finger back at the church. We've taken the challenge of being in the world, but not of the world, to mean something completely different. We think it means speak out against those who don't live the way we do. (laughs) Again, it's not just they don't live the way we do. I mean, listen to him abuse the language. Listen to him and, and really just insult the people that are listening to this. He thinks you're stupid. He thinks you're stupid. He thinks that that he can change change the biblical definitions of sin abominable sin again soul destroying sin to be just they just live differently than you they live differently than you and and you shouldn't be offended by it i mean if you love them no matter what you won't dare tell them you won't dare tell them that they're going to hell i mean you know what what good is that going to do it's it's not like um, Christian practice for 2000 years ha- hasn't been about preaching law and gospel. Not just, le- I mean, leave the law out of it. You know, hopefully one of these days they'll figure out they have a, that they have a problem. And if they don't, well, it's not my problem. At least we're still buds. At least we're still bros. 
speak out against those who don't love the way we do. I think Christians are... That's insane, that they don't love the way we do. God has a design for this, pastor. His Bible, his word has a design for this. This is so, this is so hateful, what is being done here, what we're seeing here. He doesn't love these LGBTQ folks at all, one bit. They're a bit out of touch, and I know that's painful. It's hard to hear. It was hard for me to face. You know, our- it's hard to hear because it's a, it's a straight lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell, and you are pointing the finger of accusation against the brethren once again. This is an pointing a finger at the bride of Christ saying, what you guys are teaching, just plainly proclaiming the truth of God's word and calling sinners to repent is hateful and you shouldn't do it. Um, instead, we should look to the example of all of the wonderful, uh, talented, intelligent, kind, whatever LGBTQ folks who, you know, despite the fact that they're lost in their sins and going to hell, um, you know, let's not worry about that. We, I mean, we don't want them to dislike us. Our job when it comes to the LGBTQ community is not to constantly remind them of our differences, but to focus on our similarities. You know, Wes- Yeah, here's, here's the similarity. Here's the similarity. We're all born lost and dead in our trespasses and sins and outside of salvation, um, outside of um, coming to faith faith in uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in accordance with the scriptures and repenting of our sins. Yeah. Repenting is part of salvation. Um, outside of that, we're all going to hell. That's the commonality. Said it. You, you love people because they're people. I've often said that if any relationship, same sex or heterosexual relationships remain monogamous, the majority of our sexually transmitted diseases and problems would go by the wayside. What? I do the... think there's a difference between people allowing, uh, uh, or, or, or between people allowing, you know, a lifestyle where they choose to live all kinds of bizarre behaviors rooted in. You mean you mean you know turn turn the kids away from this, but bizarre lifestyles like putting your member in the digestive system of another person is that bizarre? Not according to Rick Long, as long as it's just the two of you, as long as it's monogamous. Sexual deviance and those who have actually chosen to love somebody. For so he admits it's a choice. For life. Even still, we should not be offended by those who don't know Jesus. Period. Plain and simple. It's not about us being defended or being, being offended, man. It's about preaching law and gospel. It's about proclaiming to the world the truth of God's word. And being willing to be ostracized, being willing to be hated if necessary. That doesn't mean that we're needlessly offensive, but the truth of the gospel is an offense to the unbeliever. It's offensive to tell somebody you're dead in your trespasses and sins. It's, this is not complicated. It's just difficult. And he don't want to do the difficult work. The difficult work of standing up in the midst of a world that hates us and proclaiming the truth anyway which Jesus said would happen. Blessed are you when you are called all sorts of evil in my name. That's what happens when you tell the world the truth. And if you loved um, these LGBTQ folks as much as you claim to, you would not be okay with them living in unrepentant homosexuality headed to hell. As the Bible says, as God's word says very clearly, 
You wouldn't be okay with that if you actually loved no matter what. And, you know, we've talked about the college um, environment where really so much of society is in an incubator mm -hmm. in college. I mean, you get to see the whole world shrunk down to a campus, right? Mm -hmm. As you came out of that environment, how has that helped you become the pastor you are today? You know, the wonderful thing about uh, being an athlete is that you meet people from all over the world, mm. all walks of life, yeah. uh, and as we're discussing today, who live in many different sexual relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was able to gather from this is we don't have, we don't hold the market on, on sin. Yeah. Right. Uh, if we're able to... I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. We have, the, we have the word of life. We have the words of God himself, the testimony from God himself about these things. And yeah, we do hold the market on that. We do hold the market on truth. We have the word of God. We have it. And by not proclaiming it unapologetically, um, we, we withhold the words of life from these people. We do, we do have a market on what's true and what's righteous and what isn't. Be forgiven for our sins, mm -hmm. for our specific struggles. Right. Everybody else should have that opportunity yeah. to come to Christ and exactly. receive grace. Yeah, exactly. You don't, guess what? You don't receive grace without repentance, gentlemen. Repentance is, is an essential part of this equation. I mean, and it, this is very plain to see. If it was just, hey, you... you, you Name Jesus, you say, I love Jesus, I trust in Jesus for my salvation, and then go on to live in your sin. You fit the description, the Matthew 7 description of um, those on the last day that say, but Lord, but, you know, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? And, he, you know, did we not do all these good works? Did we not proclaim your name? That's what he means by, did we not prophesy? Did we not tell everybody about Jesus? Did we not, did we not have, um, you know, long-winded revivals where we said Jesus a thousand times and, st and stuff like that. Did we not do this? And he says, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. Repentance is an essential part of understanding what real salvation looks like. It's an essential part of salvation. Now, I'm not saying you're saved by your works. We know this, but works and the fruits of the spirit, the major one in this case being turning away from the sin that God has very clearly labeled sin is, is a marker of true salvation. It's the evidence of it. It's the fruit. We look to that. When you don't have that fruit, there's no reason for anybody to, to think, there's no reason for you to think, if it's you, that you're actually saved. And, and you know, as, as Wes was talking, I was thinking about this. Um, why is it that there is so much rampant heterosexual sex on campuses where guys are sleeping around, girls are sleeping around. Also sin. But we don't talk about that. We talk about it. But, but for whatever reason, we pinpoint um, same-sex relationships. Again, I think... <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so, you know, he characterized the, the, the adultery going on on campuses. That's a sin. But then why would we target same-sex relationships? Like, he doesn't characterize that as the sin that it is. You know, I mean, see what's going on here. See the, the, what's going on behind the curtain of all the nice talk, of all the claims of being loving, of all the claims of, 
of, you know, this faux humility and see this for what it is. The reason that we talk about homosexuality um, is because it is, it is, is the same reason these guys are talking about it right now. It's the pet sin of the world at this point. It is the thing that is, that is culturally rampant and all over the place. You know, how, how common it actually is among the people themselves. I, I don't think it's nearly as common as our culture likes to make it seem but yet it shouldn't be difficult for a preacher of, of, you know, a pastor, someone who is a vocational minister for the word of God to be able to call this what it is. And in this case, the lack of doing that and the very careful nature with which all of this is constructed is, uh, is it's just false teaching, ladies and gentlemen. That's all it is, false teaching, false doctrine. It's a false church. Um. I, I wish I could. I, I wish I could give this the benefit of the doubt, but you're hearing it with your own ears. I think it's because we're not comfortable pointing out something that we may be involved in or may have been involved in. Now, here's something I need you to hear. In your small group study, you're going to have some very thought-provoking questions and discussions. Make sure that in the midst of those discussions, you are loving, even if you disagree. As what a matter of fact. First Corinthians chapter two. Let, let, let me be clear here. The person that loves you the most will tell you the most truth. If it's true. I think Paul Washer said that. The person that loves you the most will tell you the most truth. So, so to say there's nothing loving about hiding life-saving truth from people. Really lays a foundation for the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian when it comes to understanding the truth of God. And if you can keep these verses in your heart and in your mind, it will be a game changer for you. Listen to these words. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's Spirit. This is the Passion Translation, by the way. The false, phony, one-guy-written nonsense from Bethel Church in Redding, California. Um, you notice he doesn't put up which, which translation he's using, but I think it's over here in the materials. In fact, just for the, for the sake of time, um, well, you know what, we're going to do, we're going to do this long form, you know, and, and feel free to watch it on higher speed if you want to. But, um, let's, let's pull up the verse that he's talking about. So first Corinthians, uh, two, 14 and 15. First Corinthians two. 14 and 15. Notice, notice what's being done with the text here with these kind of things. So he says, he, he reads this as being um, someone living, let's go over here, someone living on an entirely human level. Someone living on an entirely human level. Now, the actual, actual text, this is from an actual translation, says the natural person, the natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, what is, what is Paul saying here? He's saying that in your flesh, apart from salvation, apart from the work of the Spirit, apart from being indwelt by the Spirit and being a new creation— the natural person doesn't accept the things of the spirit of God. You know, the truth of God's word is nonsense to him. He doesn't accept it. But this, this passion translation thing, um, says something, says something, you know, markedly different from this. 
that rejects the revelations of God's Spirit. They make no sense to him. He can't understand the revelations of the Spirit because they're only discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. Um, it's, it, it goes on to say, those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things, and they're subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. Now, the actual verse, again, says, the spiritual person judges all things. Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm sorry. Did, did I get this right? This verse says that a spiritual person judges I mean, these guys just basically said, don't be offended by anything. Don't judge anything. But is himself to be judged by no one? For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So believers, those who are now indwelt by the Spirit, have a ministry of the Holy Spirit that helps them understand these things. What what are we understanding? Well, we're, we're understanding the Word of God that's been given to us. We're able to apply it to real life. Um. You know, again, this is saying the things of the Spirit of God. How do we know what the things of the Spirit of God are? Because he's given us his word. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is important. They're spiritually discerned, meaning you have the written word of God. You have the testimony of God. You have his, his, his revealed word in the Holy Scripture, and you understand it because you have the Holy Spirit. You can discern it. You can figure it out because you have the Holy Spirit. Um, that's how you judge all things. And, and you're, you're not judged by anybody because now you're judged by the truth of God's word. You understand it. You, you can repent. You can turn from your false understandings and agree with true ones, agree with the word of God. And yet this, this version that we're uh, looking at that they're using here from the Passion Translation um, is overly spiritualized in, in you know, the context of what Bethel Church would, would uh, tend to teach. And it says... Um, that the, the revelations of the spirit are only discovered by the illumination of the spirit. This is just, it's, this is setting up, um, I won't chase the rabbit for too long, but this is just setting up extra biblical revelation. This is twisting the text in order to make space for, uh, extra biblical revelation that happens after scripture. And this is the text that Rick Long is using. For they make no sense to him. He can't understand the revelations of the spirit because they're only They are only discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. Those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things, and they are subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. I want to refer back to those verses quite a bit during this study. When discussing how we are to treat others regardless of their lifestyle choices, This passage makes it clear that if a person is not a Christian, then we should not worry about their lifestyle, nor should we try to conform them into our image or Christ's image. They need Jesus to save them, and it's God's job to transform people. You know, as you think about it, Wes, and... And, I mean, you realize where you could take that, right? It's God's job to transform them. Well, I mean, by that stretch of the imagination, we wouldn't be evangelizing at all. I mean, it's God's job, right? I mean, we have no part in this, apparently. No, that's stupid. Obviously, that's stupid. What is our job? Our job is to take the good news. And the good news is, it starts with the bad news. We don't just say, Jesus will save you, live your, you know, claim Jesus and then continue to live in sin. Repent. Repent and be baptized. Turn turn from your wicked ways. Trust in Christ. You don't get to have, have Christ and salvation and keep your sin at the same time, that, that is good news. And yes, the Spirit is the one that does the, the, the um, 
regenerative work. It is God's, it is God alone that has the power to save, but we still have a role. We still, we're, we are taught in scripture that blessed are the feet that bring the good news. Right. But, but according to Rick, well, it's his job, God's job to save. So you really can't judge anything. And we, I mentioned it. You've, you like me in different ways have lived counter intuitively to God's purposes. It's happened. And what in the world? It's called sin, man. Just call it sin. You're a Christian pastor, man. Use the word the Bible uses. Use the framework the Bible uses, the character, the, the, the understanding that the Bible has given us. Stop with this gobbledygook, PR-driven, stick your finger in the wind and see what the world wants nonsense of, we just lived contrary. We just lived contrary to, the, to our purposes. That's really what it was. I mean, it was, you know, it's not a sin that offends the almighty God of the universe. It's not that. It's just, you know. It's just, you know, we, we sort of got off. There were some bugs in the system. You know, not that big of a deal. Come, come on, man. This is ridiculous. Probably will happen again. I mean, it may just be a choice one day, or it could be, God forbid, falling into a lifestyle. When you were in that situation where you were, you know, you, you, you've been raised in a Christian home, you knew what was right, but you fell into a counter uh, productive lifestyle when it comes to God's purposes. How are you? What? To- oh my gosh. That's not what the Bible says. You sinned, man. Just call it sin. Oh, you fell into a counterproductive lifestyle. It just was, it wasn't God's purpose for you. I mean, you, you know, you're just, you it's not so, it wasn't so bad, but it's something you probably just, I mean, you need to correct it. Oh, horrible. Absolutely horrible really make sense of God's grace through that. You know, for me, it really started at the place of knowing, wow, I'm broken. Mm. Oh, I'm a sinner. Broken to my core. Yeah. And I can't deliver myself, uh, nor can I save myself. And so when Save we- yourself from what, dude? From, from, from being broken? From being a little dysfunctional? From... from- not not being efficient, you know, not, not quite fitting into what your purpose is supposed to be, um, you know, being counterintuitive. It, save you, it saves you from your sin, bro. Just call it sin. They can't. They can't do it. Realization that we're powerless uh, outside of God's grace, it allows us to give up. Yeah. We reach to Christ, and He's the one who moves us across that threshold from being in His will. Uh, from be- previously from being out of it. Mm. Um, I love this topic because as most of us are watching this, uh, we're mostly speaking to our believers in the church. Yeah. If- That's what makes this even more horribly offensive in some way. Like you, you, you have professing believers, like you said, who are, who are taking this, this training, this curriculum, they're working through this material and nobody's even concerned. We have two pastors at our church that can't call sin, sin. And supposedly believers in this church, like, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, it's, I mean, what, what does that say? What does that say about your lack of ability to shepherd the flock that, that anybody would put up with this? Oh. If you're not a believer, we're so excited that you spent this time yeah. with us as, in a small group and get, look forward to get to know yeah. you. But we also know that the book of James says to 
uh, says to believers, the man who knows what he should do mm -hmm. and does not do it is also sinning. And that's anything. That's any choice we make. So Did you say sin? I can't believe it. He actually said sin. You know, he, and he quoted, he quoted James there, you know, that, that um, if you know it's sin, you do it anyway, it's sin. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, convictions of the, of the conscience here. Um, but I'm, I'm surprised he actually said sin. I, I mean, I guess it's a step in the right direction, huh? So uh, we can't point a finger at a person's lifestyle if we're lying to the people we love. We can't point a finger at somebody's lifestyle. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Your, your own sin, sin that you have committed, and by God, hopefully you are confessing that sin and repenting of it as, as, as the Bible instructs, that doesn't prevent you from identifying something else's sin. I mean, you see, he, he takes every believer and says, hey, did you sin? Did you sin one time? And he drags it out and throws the sin back in your face to say, no, you can't call anything sin. See, now you're a hypocrite. We are hypocrites. That's why we claim the blood of Christ. That's why I can stand here and say that homosexuality is sin and lying is sin and stealing is sin and covetousness is sin and, and envy is sin and gossip is sin. And yet I've done many of those things. It's not hypocritical because I'm not claiming my own authority here. I'm not pointing you to me saying, look what a great life I've lived. Look how great of a person I am. Therefore, you know that it's true because I'm such a great person. I'm saying, all of this is sin turned to Christ. And these guys are saying, you can't call anybody's sin a sin because you've also sinned. I mean, how hateful is this? How anti-evangelistic is this? This is anti-evangelism that's being promoted here. This idea that don't bring the, the uh, truth of the gospel, don't bring law and gospel to the unsaved, the convicting law of God that would... Um, bring them to their knees in repentance. Don't don't do that. Um, don't judge anything. Just 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 be cool with them being lost in their sin, because you after all you've sinned. Well, if we're filled with bitterness and the list goes on, you know I think one of the most powerful steps Unreal. of a Christian, or at least that a Christian could take, would be to go to those living in what they consider an alternative lifestyle, whatever that is. What, that they can say, so do you consider an alternative? No, do the scriptures do? I, I've never seen, you know, and, and I shouldn't say never, but this is such an egregious destruction and dismantling of the word of God that we're seeing. This is awful. This is so bad. Maybe it's just completely different from what you believe, and maybe just what do you believe, dude? What do you believe? Tell us what you believe. You coward. You coward. Tell us what you believe. He is telling us what he believes. They developed a whole curriculum around this. This church is buying a school full of ninth through 12th graders. And they have codified this in a curriculum. This was the handout that went along with this, where they start by... Proverbs, the Passion Translation, twisting, um, and then basically walk their their group uh, through this this curriculum where they push this this awful false doctrine. Why? 
why do you think that oftentimes Christians respond so militantly to the LGBTQ community? A, there's no such thing as an LGBTQ community. And B, we'll respond militantly to um, sin that our own children are exposed to. The LGBTQ community is coming, you know, as if you want to call it that, is trying to inculcate to indoctrinate children with this. That is a militant thing. Um, how do you think we should react? Do you think that if we treat them in a loving way, it communicates that we accept their lifestyle as being acceptable to God? Um, again, loving way is not biblical love. They've taken their own meaning for love. They're using their own meaning here. And then again, more twisting. You'll be judged by the same standard you've used to judge others. Yeah, I will be claiming the blood of Christ as a repentant believer. This is, you know, just twisting over and over and over. One of the main complaints about Christians by those who disagree with us is that we are holier than thou, holier than thou hypocrites. Uh, yeah, do they say the same thing about Jesus? Does that make, does that make it true? Are we to accept the world's uh, accusations against us when they hate us? We're supposed to say, oh, yeah, I guess if you hate us, I guess you must be right. No. Many of the views that we inherit and hold that we hold inherited from our parents or people we hang around. What were the views towards the LGBTQ community you were influenced by in the environment you grew up? Were they biblical or not? Dude, none of this is biblical. If 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 you're following what they're teaching here, you're completely against what the Bible teaches about this. Can you trace can you trace the way you feel about these people, how you're raised? So Throw your parents on. If if your parents taught you that homosexuality was a sin, um, but you're you're kind of you know you're you're thinking to yourself maybe that's too harsh. Throw your parents under the bus. They're the it was really their fault to begin with. Um, one of the many statements that many in the LGBT community often say is God created me like this. I was born like this. Do you agree with this statement? Why or why not? Read the following passage to discuss uh, and discuss what you believe they are saying. How does the Bible classify homosexual actions? Is there any difference between homosexuality as a sin and any other sin? Like, this is, this is framing, I mean, do you agree with this statement? Like, how about what does the Bible teach about this statement? Does it, does it teach that somebody can be, can be born as a, um, uh, as a homosexual by their nature? No. It just doesn't. Um, and here's, the, here's their answer. They say here, whenever the Bible talks about homosexual actions, it is listed with other sexually oriented sins. So it is a sin. Okay. So, so, so we're kind of, even though we soft played this, we're, we're hiding it in the details that homosexual actions are sinful. It is not said to be any worse than any other sin. As far as God is concerned, is there a genetic factor involved? Possibly there are genetic factors involved in alcoholism in certain individuals yet getting drunk as a sin is forbidden. We sin because we were born with a sinful nature inherited. Okay. True. Uh, but to say that God creates these predispositions towards a certain kind of sin is incorrect. That's actually correct. They're getting this right. To say that the, these sins are worse than others is also incorrect. No, the consequences are different. The impact of some sins is more obvious in society, but they are all sin. Now, here's the problem with this. The problem with this is while they're acknowledging here, yes, homosexuality is a sin. Doing those things is a sin. It's like, yeah, it's a sin, and so is everything else that you've probably done. Therefore, it's all the same. Nobody can judge anybody. It's not important. Why are we? Why are we making hay over this? Why are we? Why are we having a disagreement about this? Um, that's 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 the characterization here, and you can see it in this in in answer number five. 
um, when he says, well, here are the things you can do to show love to the LGBTQ community. Again, not a thing. Um, listen to their story without contempt. Okay. I mean, I mean, we don't have contempt. We have love for them. You realize that the, the, the approach that we take here is like, dude, you might die tomorrow and you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You need to know this. You need to know about the, the gravity, the weight of the consequences of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Salvation is available. Today can be the day of salvation. Um, repent of your sins and trust in Christ. There's urgency here. So when you say, you know, learn to accept them right where they are, I don't accept that. And neither should you. You have someone who's, who's practicing homosexuality, who is in this lifestyle, who's identifying this way. Um, it should not be acceptable to you that they're going to hell. Why would that be? Do you really love them? Do you really love them enough to tell them the truth? Are you willing to risk the relationship you might have with them because their soul is at stake? He's not. He's not. They just accept him right where they are on their way to hell. He's, he'll accept that. That's acceptable. It's not. Oh. And, then, and then number three, leave holy transformation to God alone. Again, this, this, is just a, this is just an invitation to not tell them the truth. Hey, it's, that's God's job. That's God's job. I don't have to do anything. I mean, by, by this standard, evangelism itself might as well be thrown out the window, right? <sighs> Unbelievable. Let's see if there's any, any, anything else um, in this that you could see. Yeah, this, I mean, this is an official, this is a, a, like an, a, a released part of the curriculum. And again, this is just, this is following the same um, standard, the same um, kind of program way that, that they learned from Saddleback Church. This is the, the way that Rick Warren has always done it. So we're just emulating the same thing. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that format necessarily, but when it's full of false teaching, obviously there's something wrong with it. Um, but this is what's, this is being, this is official curriculum from the church that's about to buy a school. You know, trust me, I wish I w- did not have to be the bearer of bad news here, but I would encourage all parents to be rightly concerned about this. Do you want your kids do you want your kids um, under, under this kind of instruction? Teaching your kids um, to not be offended by anything? To not have any standards for morality whatsoever? Um, that's what they're teaching here. They're saying, you know, you should be unoffendable. It's like, no, you, you should be offended by the things that offend God. In fact, you should be, you should be um, concerned, deeply concerned about those who are in um, your spheres of influence, people who are your friends, you can talk to that, you know, biblically speaking, you can, you know, judge very rightly by, by the discernment uh, given to you by the spirit that they're on their way to hell. Should that not concern you? Should this not offend you? Should it not offend you that, um, these kind of ideas are being taught in a Christian church and about to be, um, potentially taught in a supposedly Christian school. That's what we want from, from, Christians growing up is, um, don't worry about the urgency of your, the people you love going to hell. Don't worry about that. You know, accept them right where they are on their way to hell. Accept them. This is just, you know, I, I, I know that there are going to be people that are listening to me talk through this and be like, you're just a hater. There's something personal. You know, like, 
There's nothing personal with me about this. This is what the, the Word of God teaches versus what we are seeing being taught at this church. And again, this is not specifically about them. This kind of um, antinomian teaching is all over the evangelical church in this country. Um, Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church was, he very famously a couple of years ago talked about unhitching from the Old Testament. And basically what he's saying is um, we don't have to really worry about God's, about the Ten Commandments, about God's moral law, which very clearly says that you shouldn't be committing adultery, which is any sex outside of um, the bonds of a biblical marriage, homosexuality included. It's all against God's law. He's saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Just worry about our new synthesized definition of what love is. That's what you're supposed to do. And, and if we can get people claiming Jesus, claiming that they're followers of Jesus, doing the right things, coming to church, um, you know, maybe correcting some of the problems in their lives by applying the Bible and things, that's what the gospel really is. This is all over the modern American church. It's everywhere. Um, if you read Protestia, we have a lot of uh, material up there demonstrating how deep this goes at North Point Community Church. And this, what, what I've gone through here is just a local example of the same kind of false teaching, the same kind of false understanding, the same kind of unwillingness to love enough to tell somebody the truth, even if, even if they might hate you for it. You know, if the gospel is an offense to the lost person, and it is, because it starts with the bad news that they're lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. They've offended an almighty God and they're going to hell. Nobody wants to hear that. But if without that part of the message, they don't even know what they're being saved from. You guys won't even call it sin most of the time. Um, I just, I, I guess I want parents who are concerned about this to know what they're getting into know what this really is. Know that this wasn't some, as much as he said it, this wasn't some accident. It wasn't some, well, yeah, I, I, even as long as I've been preaching, sometimes you make mistakes. This is, this is what they believe. This is what they believe. And even if they were to defend themselves by saying, well, you know, it's, this is just, you know, this is just what we sort of, you know, tell the, this is how we present ourselves to the world. Really, we have orthodox doctrine. Really, we believe that gay marriage is not a thing. Um, that you that uh, monogamous relationship is not the biblical standard. We really believe that, but we don't want to turn off the world and send them running the other way. So we're going to say something else to them, even if they defended themselves on that basis. Um, is that not one of the most uh, inauthentic, deceptive things you've ever heard? We're going to tell the world what they want to hear. And so we can sort of get them into the, to the church under false pretenses. Maybe at some point they'll agree with us and what we actually believe, but we're not going to push it too hard. I mean, if, if I was, and I'm not obviously, but if I was a, a uh, lost person, an unrepentant practicing homosexual, and I started going to this church and following these guys because, hey, they're, they, they seem to be like, they're not going to give me a hard time. I can, I can come to Jesus and I can also maintain this lifestyle and maintain this identity. And by the way, they do this. He says it later in the video. They have practicing homosexuals living that lifestyle as members of their church, baptizing them and everything. You're, you're a person like this who's come to this church because, hey, they won't give me a hard time about the sin. I want Jesus and my sin. I want to keep my sin and have Jesus. And then you find out 
that what they actually believe, assuming that they actually have an orthodox belief about this stuff, would that not be um, such a profound betrayal? I mean, you're willing to lie to me? I'm, a, I'm an unrepentant gay person who wants Jesus too, and I want to be part of the church. You're willing to lie to me about what you believe, not tell me the truth, not tell me that my, my soul is in danger, that I'm on my way to hell according to the scriptures. You're, you're willing to hide that from me? just so I'll be part of your church. How deceptive and hateful must that be? How inauthentic, how backhanded must that seem to that person who's living unrepentant, an unrepentant homosexual lifestyle to then say, wait a minute, you thought this about me the whole time. You thought this whole time that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And you wouldn't even, you didn't love me enough to tell me the truth. Just because you want me to be part of your part of your Jesus club, that's awful. Um, yeah, if there's more information, questions about this, you guys know where to reach us and 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 reach me. I think, I think I've made my, I think I made my point here. Um, for for the sake of the 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 patrons and the uh, PTVIP, we'll do, um, we'll do some we'll do something uh, hopefully later this week for you that's that's specific to this. I did have a couple other things I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to because. These kind of sermon or material reviews take a long time. Uh, But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in to this uh, episode of Protestia tonight. For uh, the rest of the team at Protestia, have a good rest of your week. And as always, Semper Reformata.